When you think about the most valuable companies in the world today, like Amazon, Google, Netflix, eBay, Microsoft, Apple, these are companies where most of your interactions are through a user interface. And that's why user experience is such a hot topic right now. In today's episode, we're going to dive a little deeper into user experience and why it's so important to make this part of what you consider as you're building your business. My name is Jared Doyle, and this is the Fractal Podcast, where I bring experts from all over the world together to help you improve your business in marketing, communications, design, and everything that you might need to create a successful business. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. This week, we're going to be talking all about UX, so user experience, and I am joined by an colleague from a long time ago, Warren Prasik, who is a seasoned UX experience sort of professional and currently working with the startup Connect Develop. Warren, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Jared. Thanks for having me. I'm really interested to learn myself more about UX because it's something that I use in my everyday business chats with clients. I'm talking about UX and UI and inevitably getting both of those wrong. So actually, I think the first thing we need to do before we go any further and talk about details is, can you quickly and succinctly for everyone explain the difference between UX and UI so we don't make that mistake again? Yeah, sure. So, um, user interface, UI design, effectively, that's everything you see on the screen of your device or your computer when you're interacting with a platform or an app. So, if you're on Facebook, everything you see there in front of you, that's a user interface. Uh, The buttons you press, the images you see, it's really a visual representation, whereas UX or user experience is more about how things work, not just how they look. It's how they feel, how things tie together, uh, and how you move through an app um, and basically uh, get the value out of it. So there's a lot of a lot more in-depth kind of background research and development and design that goes into creating how a product flows and what's the most efficient uh, and enjoyable way to use an app rather than just how it looks. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess it's something too where UX, even though as a phrase that I've only really been using in the last few years, it's something where experience is going to be a big impact because it's, you know, you can't just sort of turn up and instantly know how to design everything perfectly. You can copy things that are successful, but I'm guessing experience and years of knowing the way users behave behind devices and screens and apps is is a big advantage for you. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you can never really know how users are going to interact with something until you research it. So, the first stage of uh, user experience design is really understanding firstly who you're targeting, who's likely to use your Apple product, and then I guess talking to these people and understanding what their pain points or challenges are. So, how are they currently doing things? What problems are they having? Actually talking to them and observing them in their actual environment to understand the context in which they're using something. They might be like at home, on the lounge, they might be in an office, they might be on a bus going somewhere. And also, I guess, trying to come up with ideas for solving their problems, testing those solutions very quickly, and then iterating on the solution over and over again, uh, and testing with those customers or those users to find out what works best. Because sometimes, it can be very different to what you first uh, expected or had guessed. It hadn't even really occurred to me that you might actually physically watch somebody using an interface or, or doing a website. I was going to say, is there some kind of technology or app or tracking? You, you probably have both, actually. Is, are there technologies that you can use to sort of give you insights into the way people are engaging with your UI? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are all kinds of different tools you can use. Uh, you can use analytics programs, which basically are often a third-party tool. Like a very basic one would be Google Analytics. And there's other versions out there that you can use to product into your cloud app, for example, that basically let you know what users are using which features. You can even screen track where their cursor is moving. If they're using a desktop device, then you can see where they're pausing on a certain part of your interface or if they're doing what we call rage clicks, which is when they're sort of clicking around at random, which means or they're trying to click on something they think should work, but it isn't a link. Dead links where they click on something which isn't actually clickable. Things like that um, you can gather via analytics. And then also you have unmoderated testing where you can conduct a remote session. You can test an interface with someone uh, and you can ask them questions via a microphone and screen recording. You can see what they're looking at. And then you can also do an actual in-person test where you're sitting down with them, looking over their shoulder where they have a scenario. Say, for example, you've logged into your internet banking app and you want to transfer money to your friend called Bob. What would you do? And then you sit back and watch them try to accomplish that task and then maybe ask some questions along the way without guiding them and try to understand what they're thinking at the time, what they're looking for, what they understand, as opposed to what they're actually doing on screen. Because quite often, a user will say something different from what they're actually doing. And that's human psychology, I guess. I was going to say, you probably find yourself, I mean, as a marketer, I find myself reading behavioral psychology books now because it's it's that competitive advantage you seek beyond the tactics. So I'm guessing it's the same thing for you. You all of a sudden become like a part-time casual psychologist <laughs> trying to understand why people do things that don't make sense. Yeah, that's true. Psychology is a critical part of any design process. Um, and the number one thing to keep in mind when you are designing is that you are not your user, which means if you design something for yourself, unless you actually fall into your target audience, then you're making a mistake because you are not the person going to be using the product and you really need to talk to those people, get it in front of them, your very early concepts, validate your hypothesis and then test your solutions over and over again and iterate to make it a little bit better every time rather than waiting and trying to get it perfect because perfection is an illusion. It's not really possible. It's, it's sort of this continual chase that you, you're sort of pursuing the same thing. You know, you're going down the line and, and, and hoping that you're going to get everything exactly right because you're never going to. It's always going to have flaws and inefficiencies somewhere baked into the system. So, and I just want to say, I, I love rage clicks. I'm going to steal that phrase. I'm going to use it all the time now. So that's, that's a definite takeaway for me. I also find it interesting just the previous podcast was around conversion rate optimization and landing page optimization. And the things you spoke about around rage clicks actually hold true because the same thing that Luke Chapman who came on speaking about conversion rate optimization is actually very similar to UX and all the things you described, which is looking at people, seeing where they're clicking and there are no links, seeing where, you know, the links that you didn't think were important, but everyone's going to and where they're spending their time. So I guess where I'm going with this is what does a team look like? Because I mean, I'm guessing you just don't operate in isolation. So who are the kind of people within an organization or a startup that you spend the most amount of time uh, interacting with? As a, a tech startup, a product-based tech startup, we have a, a cloud platform for connecting energy to building sites. And we have sort of a fairly classic type product team here whereby we have uh, you know, myself as the design lead. We have maybe some other designers involved. Then we'll have normally um, a product owner or a product manager who has sort of a high-level understanding of the strategic and business goals of the product. We might have the technology officer involved sometimes. Uh, we might have sales and customer success who have a good idea about 
what else is in the market and what our customers are currently using, what they need in terms of new features. And then we'll have some developers front-end and back-end, maybe a QA or a test engineer. And I guess that whole team, which is like a cross-functional team with different skill sets, we all come together and, you know, it's necessary for all our skills to work together to deliver a feature uh, in the product and test it and get it out into production. And, and who, in your experience, is usually the, the person who's more likely to introduce a roadblock into this system and slow everything down? You know, sometimes there are technical constraints. So you want to do something and, you know, the tech team will advise you that basically we, well, I was going to say you can't do that, but that's not necessarily true. You can do just about anything you want. The question is how much time and money are you prepared to spend? achieving that and the other responsibility of the product owner the product manager would be making the right choices at the right time so basically where can we deliver the most value quickest to our users so probably the product owner in terms of these are our priorities and the development team in terms of these are the technical constraints will be the two biggest um, blockages i guess so if we scale this right back down to a, a super small startup that might only have two maybe three founders and let's let's assume they've got an appreciation for ux and its importance who typically in that team is the most important person? Because, you know, when you get a, a founding duo or trio, they tend to wear multiple hats. But if you're looking at UX, is it going to be the design person who leads that? Or is it likely to be the person who's closest to the customer who, who's leading sort of the UX input? UX is, again, it's not UI or graphic design, which is sort of more, I guess, in a way, superficial. It really requires a deep understanding of your customers and their use cases so I guess you need to have a lot of domain knowledge and you need to be very in touch with your customers. Otherwise, there's really no point building a product or launching something without understanding who's going to be using it and what they need. So I guess there's no easy answer there. It's a bit of a mix. You need to solve problems for people in a way that no one else has done before if you're bringing a new product to market or do it in a better way than other people are doing it. You know, Make it a lot easier, a lot more fun or a lot quicker. It's not maybe the simple answer you're wanting, but it's a blend of understanding your customers and then breaking it down and delivering a solution that meets their needs, which is a bit of a bit from column A and a bit from column B, I guess. But I think um, in some ways, there's actually a really good answer there, which is a lot of people might default into thinking, well, whoever does the design work. So whoever's building the website, that's the person in charge of UX. But you know, you've painted a scenario there where it might be that you've got an enterprise software package, in which case... The client reps, the salespeople may actually be the people who need to really have the input on, well, this is what our clients are trying to do with the product. This is what I want it to do. Because often you've got a designer who can be quite precious about the design and saying this isn't exactly right. But if it's not delivering what the product needs to deliver, if the experience isn't easy and, and giving outputs, then it's going to fail. So I guess you know the takeaway here is you know get close to the customer and the product and what it's trying to achieve. And whoever's the closest to that end is probably the person who needs to be having the most amount of input. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's absolutely critical to understand what you're trying to achieve and for whom before you even worry about how it might look or feel. You need to understand what are the problems first that we're going to solve. So yeah, that's the starting point. So are there companies that you kind of look at that you feel not just do UX well, but potentially lead the way? And what I mean by that is, you know how you can have great big companies and they can introduce, so I don't know, I think of an example whatever you call those three bars that sit in apps in the top left-hand corner, someone had to kind of come up with that concept first, you know, whether it be a Facebook or an Airbnb or a Google. But I guess what I'm wondering here is, are there companies that we can look at that, um, that are sending, setting the 
trends in UX that everyone else kind of has to follow? Or am I just imagining that this happens and that there actually isn't trendsetters out there at all? To be honest, you've got some of the big tech giants in Silicon Valley who are really setting standards partly because they have a lot of clout in the industry through their user base and also partly because of their high profile. Everybody uses their devices and platforms and apps and also because they have the money to pour a hell of a lot of money, um, a lot of resources into the research and design uh, and iterating towards a beautiful experience. So, for example, um, Apple, Uber, Airbnb, as you mentioned, a lot of these companies are really streamlining experiences um, and, as you say, setting standards that other people tend to follow. So in, in that sense, actually, part of the UX game is to have a look and say, well, if if Facebook and Google and Microsoft and Amazon are all following this particular trend, then it makes sense that we have to follow. Unless you unless you happen to be lucky enough to be building an interface for a, a you know a platform that has five or six you know, million plus people, you probably have to let them set the trends, and you just have to make sure you keep up with it. And yeah, know there's such a thing as a hamburger menu, and you know. Maybe there's even a rule. Maybe hamburger menus have always got to be top left and not bottom right. I don't know these things, but I, I've never seen a hamburger menu on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, so I'm just going to assume that that's the case. Yeah, so, so what you're talking about effectively is UX conventions, which is something that's been so established and so widely used and understood that it's a pattern that most users will recognize and instantly be able to use effectively. So it makes a lot of sense to utilize those rather than trying to reinvent the wheel use something that just makes sense and works. The thing is, though, that's a very sort of basic UX challenge, showing a menu of options, um, which, as you say, has been solved. And then depending on how unique your product or experience is, there's a massive amount of room for experimentation uh, and custom design that hasn't necessarily been addressed by all these other, um, you know, huge titans of the industry because they have their own products with their own needs and their own use cases. So there's still a lot of things that you would probably want to design yourself. And again, a hamburger icon is predominantly a UI element rather than actual experience. So tying together those workflows and solutions and the way it feels and works is uh, yeah, it's a lot more challenging than just picking a UI convention. I'm curious to know, is there, um, does UX follow trends? Are there like hot topics right now and hot areas that everyone's kind of experimenting with and the, you know, the area where the challenges are being met that you can kind of elaborate on so we kind of get a sense of, I guess, what the cutting edge of UX is right now? I guess like five years ago, everything was kind of app-based. It was all apps on you know your iPhone or your iPad or your device or something like that, whereas now everything's really moved to cloud platforms. So pretty much all the apps that are available now are sort of cloud-based, you know, Facebook, everything that Apple does, everything that Google does, it's all pretty much in the cloud. And I think another step on from that is where we're starting to get into things like augmented reality and sort of wearable devices. I mean, Apple have done a great job with the... Uh, experience on the Apple Watch, for example. I think that the market is kind of fragmenting because in the future, not everyone will be just using a phone to interact with products. They'll be using a smartwatch or augmented reality glasses or any number of other devices in your car, for example. So there are going to be all these other devices and ways of interacting with platforms that we probably aren't familiar with yet. And ultimately, it's going to be quite a challenge to design these different experiences for these different apps that are used in all kinds of different contexts and I guess testing them and understanding what works and what doesn't, it's a bit of a 
a bit of a new frontier, actually. And then, um, you know, who knows where it's going to lead in the future. I can imagine it's a huge challenge. I mean, you talk about virtual reality, it just totally throws the whole user interface out the window. <laughs> it's a whole new environment which you need to deal with. But, you know, diversity is the challenge. It's the, um, it's the, the difficult part of the job that I'm, I'm guessing you probably relish. Whereas if everyone was logging on in the same screens, the same devices, the same interfaces, it's, you know, you work can be a little bit dull. So I can, I can see there's actually a, a lot of fun challenges there for you. Yeah. Who knows where it's going to go in the future? It's pretty amazing. Actually, everything is starting to come out now. You know, you've got self-driving cars and everything like that. And that's a, a UX or a product challenge as well. Um, as well as all the technology and hardware that's required to make the damn thing avoid hitting anyone. You know, how do you control that? And ultimately, a lot of these things are starting to become automated where there's very little sort of interface and interaction with a user or it seems almost transparent to them that you're not sort of physically touching a screen necessarily. So I think that devices and experiences are going to evolve from literally interacting with a screen to something that's more abstracted and kind of blended in with the rest of the reality you're in and you, you're almost not sort of notice the interface at all it will almost disappear entirely until you need to interact with it and many of the actions we make these days are now just baked into our dna like we just grow up i mean i think we've we've both got kids of an age which means they were born looking at the idea there's an ipad screen and they just got the idea they could put their finger on it and and every parent with kids 10 years and you know under have had that experience where they're looking at their six-month-old and going hang on they've worked out what swiping is on an ipad and you just realize that's just the power of you know the whole user experience when you've got a six-year-old baby who works it out and says oh i know how to get rid of a picture i can change the screen exactly and the great thing about kids is that i mean not only are those experiences incredibly intuitive because you are directly interacting with the objects on screen versus abstracting it via a mouse or a trackpad, you're actually touching the object you want to interact with. I mean, Apple did an amazing job with your your gestures where you sort of pinch your fingers or you turn things around on screen and it felt like you were actually sort of touching the objects. Um, but the great thing about kids is, and they're a great way to test your product, in fact, because kids have no fear of breaking stuff. They will touch this, do that, do anything without fear, whereas adults tend to be more constrained and a bit wary that they're going to break something or do something wrong. So if you want a tip for testing your product or service, get some kids to play with it and they'll 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 break it pretty quickly if it can be broken. Hopefully just the uh, the, the way the app works, not the actual device. I, I have a six-year-old son and I think um I think it's equal risk of breaking an app and breaking the device. So Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Maybe keep it in a nice thick case. So for somebody who does UX how do you turn UX into a profit center, not a cost center for a business? What are the kind of things that you, you know, write down, you present to show, look, I'm not just here, you know, drawing a wage, I'm here delivering value and, and possibly a return for the business. What are the kind of metrics that you sort of define success by for you, for yourself? Well, it's interesting. Um, I'm fortunate to be in the position whereby the company I work for are incredibly invested in uh, user experience and product design because they recognize that it's not possible to compete or, I guess, succeed in a digital platform without having a quality user experience because the standard and the expectation has been set so high by those other companies I mentioned before, Uber and Apple and so on and so forth, that anything substandard, people intuitively these days feel it doesn't work well and they don't come away with a positive experience which damages your brand and therefore your success fortunately there's no justification required i guess 
there's there's a concept you may have heard of called design thinking and the basic premise is that everyone in an organization needs to think about design which is effectively it's about solving problems not making something look beautiful it's about solving problems uh, and making an experience as pleasurable as possible i guess and so when you take your approach from that point of view then designing the product from the user's point of view, it's it's basically a no-brainer. You don't need to necessarily uh, assign metrics to. However, if you had to, you can look at things like you know, how many users do we have? How often are they using the product? Um, are they using our features? Uh, are we doing surveys to ask them you know, how happy they are with the product? Um, and also doing all those user testing uh, sort of methodologies that I mentioned earlier on about observing users and mapping over time how long it takes people to perform key tasks and how frequently they're doing it, which is a fairly good indicator as to, I guess, how easy the product is to use and therefore how successful you are as a designer. Yeah, I can imagine that things like, you know, for something like Facebook, the amount of time they spend in the app is a good thing, whereas other businesses are transactional and actually want people to reach success in the shortest period of time. So as a marketer, I can imagine tying up nicely with conversion funnels and interactions. I can also imagine net promoter scores and the idea of people's general satisfaction being super important to this whole experience. And when I think about giant brands that exist now, we've mentioned a bunch of them, be it Facebook, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, you realize your entire experience is through a user interface. So I'm guessing that's probably why we've seen job titles that really didn't exist, you know, whatever it is, five, seven years ago, now become such hot property in UX. It's because our only interaction with these brands is through a user interface. You know, there's no shop fronts. We're not often, don't even have tangible products. And yet the most valuable companies in the world are just entirely based around interfaces. Is that trend to remove the physical world and become much more virtual. Is that is that why we've seen UX just appear as one of those buzzwords that just seems to be growing in importance or, or are there other factors I'm unaware of? Yeah, I, I think that's largely true. I think, as you say, technology has become so pervasive in our lives thanks largely to smartphones. I mean, they only really sort of broke through about 10 years ago when Apple released the first iPhone um, and that completely changed the way that sort of we interact with I guess, each other in the world. I mean, the economy became more digital. Now where everything's available online, like you say, you shop online, you communicate online, you've got everything in your pocket, your entire sort of virtual life is in your pocket. And because of that, it's become so powerful that we've learned all these patterns and new behaviors where we rely on these devices and these digital experiences, having everything at our fingertips. Um, that as you say, making that experience as seamless and fluid as possible is really critical. And that's obviously where user experience and product design come in. The interesting thing is that user experience actually has been around for a long time. It's just evolved over that time and it's had different job titles, I guess. Originally, it was called human-computer interaction. And I know I keep mentioning Apple. I mean, I do like their products. But it's worth noting that way back in 1984 when they released the first uh, Macintosh computer, so we're talking 35 years ago, they released a massive thick textbook. Basically, they were defining all these patterns and interactions and experience guidelines. So it's been around for a long time, but now I think more people are aware of it because everything is so digital and instantaneous. Yeah, and I think that's about the same time that they were doing things like introducing you know, screens and, and mice and, and these things that we now just assume are standard practice, but you've got to, you don't have to cast your mind back too far 
to realize these things didn't even even a mouse didn't exist, let alone touchscreens. So I'm keen to take give a um like a, a golden nugget of advice. So I'm going to paint a scenario for you um, where which happens a lot when you're an expert in an area, and that is to say someone's hitting you up for some free advice. So in this scenario, you're at a cafe. There's a founder. She's building an app. It'll be an app about something we'll call about fitness for one of a better um, industry and she's really trying to get like any kind of information off you and you're you know giving her lots of information but if you've got to boil that down and say look what's the one thing you want her to take away when she goes off from a user experience point of view what's the one bit of advice that you want her to really you know get stuck in her mind firstly understand the problem you're trying to solve validate that it's a real problem that people have and then come up with an idea that might solve that problem and then test it with as many people as you can and then keep iterating in that pattern. So basically constantly evolve your design solution and constantly test that and iterate it and improve on it. Don't wait until you think you've got something that is a fantastic product that solves all the problems in that space. Try to focus on a particular set of problems that aren't solved by anyone currently and then constantly improve your solution and don't don't wait for perfection because as i said before that's not possible you've got to get out there and test it and constantly improve i think that's really good advice i'm i'm in my head i'm running through a couple of different things i'm working on at the moment thinking yes jared you need to do that as well (laughs) like you know just let it go let it go in public you know ship it as they say that, that's, the, that's the thing. Try not to be too precious. It's difficult when you have an idea that you're passionate about and you have a vision and you really want to do the best possible thing for your users and you don't want to shortchange them or put something out there that isn't quite right. But if there is a problem with your your assumptions, I guess, then you really want to find out about that as soon as possible. Don't wait. Get it out there. Test it. And there's an old saying that says, if you wait to release your product or service to a point at which you're not embarrassed by its first release, then you've waited too long. I think that's one of the things Steve Jobs said that he struggled with in his first incarnation at Apple was that he would try to perfect everything and then he got a little bit more relaxed with things and sort of understood that you actually have to get some things just out the door <laughs> or else you're not going to sell anything. So He sort of had some divergent views on things because he was an absolute perfectionist apparently by all accounts definitely visionary however he also did say that real artists ship which means ultimately you've got to get something out the door if you don't get it out the door you're never going to sell anything and to be honest if you wait until you've got the perfect solution almost certainly someone's going to beat you to market and your perfect solution will be worth nothing because everyone is already using another platform and they won't see the value in moving over to yours and you become another one of those people that say, oh, I had this great idea, but so-and-so did it before me and I missed it and that's my chance gone. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, VHS versus Betamax, the videotapes from 30 years ago. VHS was an inferior technology, but it came out to market way before Betamax. So, basically, it captured the market share and dominated even though Betamax was a far superior technology. It's so true. It happens in so many different businesses. There's, there's multiple reasons why. But, yes, if you're not in market, you're never going to win any market share. So, it's great advice. So is there, is there something that you've got your eye on, a, a trend that you think might be turning or something that you think at the moment is right that maybe more than half of the other UX community doesn't agree with and, and you've got a chance to kind of carve out a, a, a visionary viewpoint on, on UX moving forward? Is there any kind of area that you've got a, an inkling on that you don't think other people are really cottoning on to at the moment? I wouldn't say so because realistically, I mean, 
what am I going to say that the rest of the community isn't? That either means I'm a genius or a pariah. I'm not sure I'm either, to be honest. I think I'm a pragmatist. I've got a lot of sort of experience and opinions, but I think that most of them would be in line with a lot of other UX practitioners. I think that um, in general, the challenge is sort of where do we go from here? A lot of products and services have already kind of been fairly well covered. I think the trick these days is in really finding a niche that's quite different and really hasn't been attacked before. The other challenge, of course, is uh, from a business point of view, there's so many different people out there doing so many things. You never really know what anyone else is doing until they're in market. So, you know, you just got to go out there and give it a go, I think. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's, it's almost impossible. You can't kind of look at a market and try to find, I mean, obviously there's a cursory glance to make sure there's not someone doing exactly what you've got and they've already built a huge business. But I think it's just a rule of thumb these days that if you're doing it, someone else is probably trying the business at the same time with the same idea. So, you know, ship it, get something in the market, iterate, improve, and and hopefully you win. So. I guess there's one thing that I have an opinion on that some people may not agree with. I, I, can't, I can't tell if Elon Musk is a madman or a genius. He's certainly amazing at marketing, but some of his ideas and some of the things he's doing, I think it's all for marketing. And He's just literally trying to build up all this uh, hype around various technologies in order to promote something else. And I can't quite figure which way he's going, but uh, I find him quite an interesting, enigmatic kind of person. My theory is that anybody who significantly changes the status quo of society is mad to a certain extent. So they tend to be equal parts genius and mad. And I think about all the people who have done amazing things and and you kind of go, oh, they were genius, they did that. And you look and go, yeah, but on the flip side, they also had all these evil parts to them. And I think I think that's what happens. And if, you, if you've got to have this incredible personality to think, oh, I'm going to make the entire world drive self-driving electric cars and oh, I'm also going to colonize Mars at the same time and, and create efficient transport in tubes. And you think you've got to be a bit mad to do that. Well, thank you so much for um, all your insights, Warren. I, um, I I love it all. And um, what's that phrase we're doing again? Ang- angry clicks? Rage clicks. Rage clicks. That's the phrase. That's my takeaway. Rage clicks is the thing that I want to avoid. Um, if people want to um, follow your work or the company or you on whatever social media you prefer the best, what's the best way for someone to kind of engage with you or follow your work? Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can also find my website, warrenprasek.com. And I'll also give a plug to my photography site. It's a bit of a sideline hobby for me. I don't do it as much anymore now I have kids, but I've got some nice images there at zoodoo.com, X-O-O-D-U.com and connectdevelop.com, the company I work for. Obviously, we have our own website there. So yeah, feel free to have a look there and please drop me a line if you're interested in getting in touch. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, Warren. Great catching up with you. I look forward to speaking with you again uh, fairly soon. Cheers, Jared. Thanks, mate.